This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Superwomen. I'm Rebecca Minkoff. Today, I am really excited to share with you my interview with Samantha Berry. She is the editor-in-chief of Glamour Magazine, and if you ever wondered what the antithesis of the evil editor-in-chief is, this is Sam. She's smart, down-to-earth, refreshingly honest, and just plain cool. In this interview today, we talk about how she got to be the editor-in-chief from an unlikely career and how she's really making huge strides to make the magazine more inclusive, more real, and just plain more honest. Take a listen. Here's Sam Barry on Superwomen. Hi, Samantha. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. So you've had a really unique career path, and I would love for you just to tell me and our listeners how you got to where you are. I think I have. I was describing it earlier this week to a bunch of university students as the unexpected path to my dream job. And so I grew up in Ireland, always wanted to be in the media, always wanted to be a journalist of some sort and did a degree in English and a master's in journalism. And my first job was actually radio. So I love podcasts. I love audio. I love all things audio because I started my media career working for the National Broadcaster in Ireland doing overnights, which was writing and reading the news bulletins for the four truckers and the five nurses that were getting off work in the middle of the night and listening to the bulletins. I graduated from that to, thankfully, more sociable hours, but still working in radio as a reporter and a researcher. I think after a couple of years, I got to do the stories that I really wanted to do. And in Ireland, they were the stories of the schools that needed the most help or stories of the security in um, psychiatric units or stories that I felt a personal passion towards. I got to tell them eventually after a couple of years of cutting my teeth, I was able to tell those stories. And then had my kind of mid to late 20s terrifying my parents and working in weird and wonderful and scary places all at the same time for a couple of years. And I think I could only have ever done that if I was 26, 27 I spent probably about four months in total in Pakistan working with journalists there. I was in and out of Iraq a couple of times and then working in Myanmar in Burma for the BBC. That was a bit of an adventure and I love that I got those years of spending time understanding the stories that people that people cared about when it was in Pakistan. It was talking to women about how they deal with their situation under, you know, sometimes in areas of conflict. And then I was in London for about four years with the BBC. So that was a lot of TV on air with the BBC. And then it was also the time where I kind of honed my skills back behind the scenes with social media. So putting my hand up and offering to do more digital and social. So I would be on air a lot talking about technology and social and the innovation of media for BBC World News TV. And then behind the scenes, working with the team on building up what our digital and our social output looked like. And it was from there that I was approached by CNN in probably around the summer of 2014 to come and work and run social media. And it was a job that I thought I'd come and try for a year and see whether I liked New York. But it's four years later and I spent three and a half years at CNN to then this new, amazing and very exciting opportunity as editor-in-chief of Glamour. And I 
have said it before and I'll say it again, I could not imagine a better year to get to work at one of the biggest women's titles in the world and speak to and about and with women because they're so front and center of the story today, more than I feel like they have ever been in my lifetime. And to be an editor that gets to talk to women across America is something I feel massive privilege and pleasure in. What I love about, you know, your path is, you know, in in kind of my history and seeing fashion magazines, you had to, you know, toil away at magazines, you know, fashion magazines and work your way up to the top eventually. And you came from such a varied and diverse background in real news in a way that to be able to, you know, to show girls or young women, like you can have an incredible career and it doesn't have to be toiling away as the, you know, sample room assistant to then become editor in chief. It's, it's an incredibly bold career change. You know, I've read and that, you know, prior to having no background in print or women's media, what made you say, I'm going to take the leap of faith and I'm going to, and I'm going to take the helm of this um, magazine? It was for me when Condé Nast and Anna Wintour in particular approached me about putting my hat in the ring. The second that that was an opportunity, I knew I wanted it. So it wasn't, I I go after everything very much fully invested. So I wasn't going to put my hat in the ring unless I was really wanted this job and was going to go for it. And I think for me, it was not only taking on this what some people consider just a magazine brand, because it's so much more than that, right? Yes, we do 11 magazines a year, but we have 15 million people on social. We have like 10 million plus people that come to us on Glamour.com digitally every month. every month, And then we have Glamour Women of the Year, which is a big event. So for me, one of the things I really wanted to do, because I do have to take that moment of like, okay, I'm already leave 15 years of hard news background to go into women's titles. Am I going to be happy and satisfied? Is it going to be a job that I'm going to get as many challenges as I do satisfaction out of it? And for me, the answer was yes, because it is a media brand for me. It's not a magazine. And so many people have talked about, you know, what's it like being the editor-in-chief of a magazine? But it's more than that. It really is. It's digital. It's events. It's how do you interact with the Glamour tribe in real life? It's a brand. And it is a brand across all different platforms. And I think one of the things that I have enjoyed most is how do I unify that brand? So it's very clear that if you come to a Women of the Year Summit or you only come into us online or via social maybe a couple of times a month, that you understand that that brand is across all of the platforms and it makes sense to you. So whether that be our point of view on fashion or beauty or where we stand on women's reproductive rights, or the types of stories that we're trying to tell, that you understand glamour across all those platforms. Personally, it's such a passion for me to be able to tell those stories um, of women and with women this year. And so now that you're positioning this as a platform, like, again, it's not just a magazine, what are some of the things, you know, knowing this is a, you know, women's platform and media company in a way, what do you plan to do differently to elevate women's voices? I think there's an upskill of our team. So just taking it back to what we have in-house here, I think more and more I've pushed them. Nobody works across just print or digital or events. Like you, if you come in as an editor or director or an assistant in the beauty closet or you come into any role at Glamour now, you are expected to be a fully rounded part of the team, which means that you will work across all three. And I think setting that expectation from the start is really important 
to me. It is also upskilling the team that we have. We're beautifully amazing with words. We think we have, and we are growing exponentially in video. But again, having more and more of the team experiment, understand video, how do we keep growing that? Whether that video is as simple as getting something for Instagram stories from a reporter, it doesn't have to be a huge production feed every time. So that's in-house. And then externally, it is, again, driving home over and over again to our audience and driving it home, not only by saying we're doing it, but but showing we're doing it. So when it comes to fashion, the fact that we are very size inclusive, that we are utterly diverse in our casting of, of models on both print and digital, that we care about accessible contemporary fashion rather than super, 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 super aspirational, that we care about, that we're really interested in eco and sustainable fashion, that we have an eye on kind of everyday fashion almost and driving that home in our content, right? If it's beauty, again, we really care about size inclusiveness, we care about diversity. One of the topic areas that we've been really digging in with of late, both in print and digital, is the topic of black hair. And so really being the place if you want to get some beauty tips or tips or insight into it, you're going to come to Glamour. We're constantly looking at not only how can we drive home what our audience wants, but also how can we how can we tell them what, what we stand for and we care about. And so for us in kind of the media topics, when you think about the news and culture area, we really this year have, have drilled down on Me Too. We've drilled down on money because we don't think people are having enough uh, conversation with women about money. Definitely not. And, um, <laughs> we've drilled down in women voting and running. So there's a kind of, they're, they're kind of three of the pillars that we'll be looking at. And across the board, because it's always been a part of Glamour, women, women, uh, women's reproductive rights is something we really, 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 really care about. And we're going to explain to you what the SCOTUS pick might mean for your access reproductive care in your state, right? That's a story we're going to tell better than anybody else. You also gave Glamour a new motto, which is authentic, accessible, and relevant. What made you choose this or you and the team choose this as part of the rebrand? So authentic for us is, look, I think millennial audiences in particular have such a good bullshit meter that like unless <laughs> you're being true to your voice yeah. and who you are and what you stand for, they don't want to have anything to do with you. So in everything we do and the stories that we tell and the people that we talk to, we use that word a lot. Like I know it might be overused, but like, is that person authentic? Like, are they right for the glamour brand? Is it somebody that feels real? Um, so that was that, that that was the authentic part of it. Accessible, because I think one of the great things that women titles have always had, and the glamours of the world in particular, is not only have they felt like you can be part of that world, it also feels like they're part of the service of you. So it's where you're getting information. It's where you're figuring out new things. It's telling you kind of your deep, if you have any deep, dark secrets on like sex and relationships that you haven't confided in anybody else, like you will go to your women's title to figure out are they talking about the same things that I'm talking about? So accessible was really important to us. And the accessibility of, again, is back to that accessible means you see people that look like you in the pages, in the scrolling of digital. You will see it feels like we're talking to you. Like some of the stuff that we've done recently, that had, we've got a great reaction from different communities. We, we did the fashion for the differently abled and what strides have been made in that world. Um, who is designing, who's creating um clothes for those people. We have done, you know, we did a story about how 
we had an amazing African-American photographer go around New York to Black Panther screenings and just do this photo series with women on why they were so inspired by this movie in terms of their African-led design and fashion and how they were almost empowered to, like, go in full, like, regouts to the actual um, screening. And so we talked about that. We've got a lot of reaction. We want to tell the stories of people so it doesn't just seem a bit mm, vanilla and everyday. We want to tell the different stories, and that's the accessible part for us as well. And relevant, really, you've got to be, for people, people have so much information coming at them in this digital world of, like, having a mobile phone and just being so, media is so accessible to everybody all the time. You have to be relevant in order for them to spend any time with you. So for me, one of the biggest things I look for on our site in particular is how much time somebody spends on average with us on a story, right? Because that is a real indicator that you what you're doing is quality. So if somebody spends, like one of the things we had the the the, the words of the Larry Nassau victims in their own words, and we said these are the words of the survivors of Larry Nassau victims, and with audio and transcripts, and we did a, an amazing graphic treatment, and we stayed with it in a way that other places had. And on average, people spent seven minutes with that story. In today's world, to get somebody to spend seven minutes with you is you know you're doing something well. If somebody spends time and money with you, it means that you're doing something right. You know, one of the things um, when you're sort of, I feel like you've, you've switched up the entire property, you know, 180 degrees. And when we did that, you know, I didn't think it was a big deal that we had African-Americans, you know, featured in our social. And I remember the day we, this was, you know, over a year ago, not that we hadn't featured them before, but we featured more prominently, right? And we had, mm-hmm. we lost, I think, 600 followers just in that one post. And I was like, whoa. That's so interesting. There is a huge problem with my followers right now if that's what mm-hmm. they're going to do when I post diversity, right? And yeah. so um, in in this redesign, in in sort of changing how you approach storytelling in a way, did you face any criticism or backlash? Not that you'd care. Yeah, you know, look, I think any anytime change is never super easy like in general we were the relaunch was really interesting for me to watch the social chatter the social sentiment the letters to the editor the um things that were coming in and overall in general it was super positive like we had people spend so much time our our relaunch was around the money issue and that topic in particular really resonated with women young women parents everybody and it was like that this is the first time I feel like anybody's been super real with me and having a conversation about money and, and relationships women have with money. So that, like, we got an awful lot of great reaction. Of course, we got some people that were like, why'd you change the logo? This is the glamour I've been buying for 40 years. <laughs> How could you do this to me? Change is bad. You're always, you can't go into any type of redesign or a reestablishing of where you stand and what you stand for without expecting some people are not going to like it. That should never stop you. It is so important that you take a risk and you innovate and you're constantly listening. And one of the things that we did in the redesign, which we made very clear to the audience, is that we wanted as much feedback as possible. We want them to tell us which sections they love. We wanted them to tell us which things that they weren't unclear of. And in the digital world, now, today, you're going to get immediate reaction. I think redesign overall, we got hugely positive sentiment, but I don't think you can be discouraged by the odd 
negative sentiment because people are not, not everybody's on board for change. Let's be honest. I just bought the iPhone 10 a couple of months ago and I was, I hated it for the first week. I was like, I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to turn on my phone. I don't know how to, and now I know how to do that and I'm all on board because I understand it. It was an improvement. I'm still mystified by it. I, (laughs) I, I I got an A plus. I wasn't comfortable. I couldn't do it. (laughs) One of the magazine's new missions is to highlight women's issues each month. What are some of the most important issues you plan to cover? Uh, women's reproductive rights are high up there. Money is high up there. We have a lot of women that engage with Glamour that are not on the coast. So are we doing as good of a job that uh, that we can of telling their stories? In our comedy issue, we had a big investigative piece on how the NRA is spending money getting women to pick up handguns and how it's succeeding um, in certain parts of the country. I think whether you agree with the politics or the decisions of people, I really want you to read the stories of women across America and understand that Glamour is a place you're going to get those stories. So that's a big part of it for us. One of the biggest things that we did this year was partner with GQ and really dig into how men were feeling about Me Too, um, which really hadn't been covered anywhere else. So you've been quoted saying that the Irish are great storytellers. Um, (laughs) How do you define a good storyteller and how would you define your storytelling? I think it's uh, storytelling is like you can draw somebody in, even if it's nothing, if it doesn't have anything to do with their life. I think drawing people in and not alienating them. I think one of the things that great storytellers do that sometimes academics do badly is they really bring people in as part of the story rather than alienate them with some lofty facts or figures, right? So how do you draw people in? And honestly, one of the things that do do best for us, it's not talking about a theme or it's not talking about generalities. It's getting in and telling the stories of women. So if we're going to talk about women's reproductive rights, who are, what women are we talking to in the states that might lose their access to abortions. Like, who are we actually talking to? Who are the doctors we're talking to? So I think telling personal stories, they're the ones that people remember. They don't necessarily remember the stats and the figures. They remember the story about Anne who had to travel 200 miles in order to get to a planned parenthood. They remember those. So making it more personal with people is really important parts of storytelling as well. So one of the last two questions I ask every person that I interview. So the first one is, what would people be surprised to know about you? Usually I'll share um, this one being that okay. <laughs> I, mean, I usually like to make people comfortable with, you know, what I'm sharing, but you can share really anything. My genetic makeup is probably I'm like a 16th Irish, um, nice. but I always on my side, it's like the Mongolian genes from 200 years ago. have really overwhelmed the system. But my son, my newest addition is 100 percent Irish. He is red hair, <laughs> blue eyes, pale skin. Um, never could have uh, predicted that that would win there, but love that he looks so very different than, than anyone in our family. So what would people be surprised to know about you? Oh, well, I love to cook and I I just don't, I know for some reason, every time I tell people, especially as I live in New York and it's not necessarily that I um, love to cook. Like, I love it. I'm obsessed with food. I'm not going to call myself a foodie because Bon Appetit would come up here and slap me across the face. I don't like that word. <laughs> but I. What do you love, love to cook? 
like everything, but I love cooking comfort food for other people. So mm. whether that be like a spaghetti carbonara or like a shepherd's pie, I love, 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 love cooking. And I love it for a couple of reasons. But the main reason that I realize I love it, I, I cook especially when I'm quite stressed or if like I'm a little overwhelmed with things. I cook because it makes me put my phone away and I'm concentrating on a process that is like a it's paint by numbers and if i do these things i will have a meal at the end of it and it's not in front of a computer it's not in front of a tv it's not in front of a mobile phone it is something that takes my mind into a very practical thing to do and so that's i love it for that I'd like to eat your shepherd pie. It sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah, right? I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> uh, maybe when we do another dinner for ladies, everyone can cook and bring a dish. A potluck, right? Yeah. My last question, because, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast is I wanted to just inspire more camaraderie about women, women helping each mm-hmm. other, learning from each other. So is there any advice that you'd have to leave our listeners with? I think one of the things, especially when, you know, when you're thinking about your women colleagues or the people that work for you or you work for them is, you know, really learn from each other, the three L's, listen to each other, lift each other up. So that's really important. But also I think it would be for women, especially in a professional setting, to understand how they can grow from constructive criticism and ignore any toxic talk, but more importantly, be able to tell the two apart. And I think that's really important for women. So understand what is coming at them from a professional development way that should be taken on and learned from and also understand how to tell the difference between that and what is toxic talk in a professional setting and really, really grow from that. So that would be my advice. I love it. I'm glad that you separated professional criticism with toxic because I think sometimes so pe- so many people, young people, I say this like I'm an ancient yeah. person, <laughs> the youth get so offended yeah. if you're like, maybe do it differently this time, but really it is helpful for their career growth. It's a growth. Yeah, exactly. You're growing. And I think one of the things that has served me well, especially during my career, a former boss was just talking to me recently that it's like, anytime somebody said, that's not right, this, it would be better this way, or this is a different way of doing it. I really, really took all of that in. And I've never been, I've never shied away from constructive criticism from a boss ever. And I worry we're not training the younger generation to understand the difference between toxic talk and constructive criticism. Totally. I think there should be an issue dedicated to that if I might give you a... Yeah, right? (laughs) Yes. I will plaster it all over my walls of my office. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sam. It was awesome. And I can't wait to eat pie with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'll, I'll, I'll go shopping for the recipe right now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. I just finished Fashion Week and I felt like on the heels of this episode with Samantha Berry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour, I could give you a little bit of insight into what my week was like. You know, when we have a show, it is the culmination of almost a year's worth of work from the beginning of the inspiration, which was Ibiza and the love movement that started there, all the way through picking the colors, the fabrics, going through all the sketch reviews. We now have eight categories that we're in. And I think that it's making sure that that inspiration and that feeling of love and optimism really shows and carries through all of the different, whether it's a watch or eyewear or a shoe, uh, that you still get that same really great feeling from seeing the collection and that it goes together. And then crunch time is always the month of January. Most people feel sluggish and they've come back to the new year, but it's always an exciting time because we get to work on putting this whole collection together. 
So from putting all the looks together to casting the models and then working to find women of influence. And just to define that further, it's women who are doing awesome things that we wanted to also have on the runway. It wasn't just about a model. So whether uh, it's Noor Taguri, um, who's an incredible activist and journalist, to Iskra, who is a body positivity model, um, doing great work in that arena. I really wanted to be able to bring to my customer and really bring to you these diverse women um, that are inspiring. So we did the show. It was a bit crazy uh, to be back at Fashion Week. We had taken a break uh, last year. The first reason why we didn't do a show was I was pregnant. It was also didn't feel like the most appropriate thing to have on the heels of what was happening politically. So instead, we showcased 15 really incredible women. And then in September, it was really the launch of our new brand platform, which we call I Am Many, about embracing the many parts of yourself, but also there are many of us. So we really wanted to seal that with a video series. And so having taken a year-long break, it was really nice to be back. It was awesome to see all the love we got on social And I hope you watched it. You can still tune in. We have it on YouTube and on our website for a little bit longer. But I always love Fashion Week. It's never a stressful time for me. I mean, it is stressful, but it's not It's not an uncomfortable stress. It's fun. So I feel really lucky we get to do it twice a year. And I'm already excited for September. And we're already already talking about what we're going to do. I hope you enjoy this episode with Samantha Berry. She is one of the uh, rare women in this world that is so down to earth, so kind, very smart, and doing good things to change the magazine and bring it into its new digital-only future. Make sure you follow us at RM Superwomen and subscribe and send us your reviews. Your reviews to me are like money in the bank. Not literally money in the bank, but it fuels my bank of happiness. So please leave a review. Thanks and see you next week. Thank you.